everybody. Welcome to Rachel's Reviews and the Female Film Critics Panel. And today I'm very excited to have a very special guest with us for the panel today. We are talking with Alicia Malone today, and this is so exciting for me. Thank you so much, Alicia, for coming. And uh, and we're just so thrilled to have you here on the on the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for wanting to speak to me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, well, so this is your first time on uh, my podcast, so I'd like to give you a chance to introduce yourself and and uh, tell us a little about how you got started in your sort of love of film. Yeah, well, you can probably tell from this accent that I'm not from America. I was born in Australia and have a family who has always adored film, particularly my dad. My dad is the type of person that would have a stack of newspapers, and if you tried to use them, he would say, I haven't finished with them yet. So he was always a collector and he collected a lot of films from television, particularly classic films taped from late night television. He had this precarious stack of VHS tapes that was like uh, Jenga because he had to try and slide one out without the whole tower falling over. And it was really through him and my family that I discovered films and in particular classic films. The glamorous world of Hollywood really caught my eye from a young age and it wasn't until I was much older that I realized that it was a very strange, <laughs> it was very strange for someone so young to adore Cary Grant the way that I did. But now working at TCM as a host, I've, I've found my people. Yeah. So I had read on your bio that you started a film club when you were <laughs> a little girl. I did. Yeah. In high school, because as I got into high school, I realized, yeah, I wasn't normal most of my friends didn't enjoy black and white films. They thought they were boring. I tried to suggest them at every sleepover and I usually <laughs> got booed for that. And then I started feeling quite outraged that people hadn't seen these great movies. And I felt, which I still feel today, that if you just get them in the door and get someone to watch a classic film, they will they will love it because these films are timeless and mm -hmm. they the story still holds up and the characters, the dialogue, etc. It's it's why we still continue to watch them all these years later. So I thought I would get together and start a film club where I could screen movies for the school that I was in. It was an all girls school, and I would stand up in assembly and I would tell them all about. Citizen Kane, that was what I started with, which is not the best choice for a bunch of teenage girls from Australia. But uh, yeah, no one came to my screenings and eventually the school principal asked me not to get up in assembly anymore because she said assembly is meant for important notices. You can just put posters around about the film club and the teacher wanted to get home to her family. Mm -hmm. So I ended up abandoning my film club, but I feel like I am sort of doing that now in my job. Well, and when you did that um, series with uh, Scott Mance, that uh, was kind mm. of a film club. Yes, profiles. I <laughs> loved doing profiles yeah. with Scott Mance, who's still yeah. one of my favorite people of all time. Such an infectious energy. And, yeah. and that was a real joy. You got your revenge. <laughs> you yes. yeah. People were listening. Finally. Yes. <laughs> That's really cute. Uh, and you said in the the... Uh, biography that uh, you would go and rent seven films for seven days, seven dollars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Store. Yeah. Every week I would make a pilgrimage down to the video store uh -huh. and my mom would come along and I think she still, well, there's no video stores anymore, but she still tries to 
stack up movies to watch over a weekend. So I yeah. got into the habit of going with her and getting the seven films for seven days for $7 deal. And I took it quite seriously as I always did with anything involving film, had to make the perfect mix of choices, some classics, maybe a foreign film in there, some independent movies. I usually had a list that I had written out from the Leonard Moulton movie guide, which was my Bible at the time. And I wanted to watch all of his four star films. And so I would take home a stack and spend the whole weekend watching movies. And it was the kind of thing that if I got invited to a party or a friend's house, I was like, oh, I don't really want to go because I've got so many movies to watch. <laughs> yeah, I think that in, in general, I mean, I don't really miss the rental stores too much because the rental fees were always a problem. But but and the late the late charges but i do miss the fact that you would come up with something unexpected mm. you know that because now if you you have to purposely go and find what you have to search in a streaming or whatever and find yeah. whatever you want to watch and so it's harder to kind of stumble upon something and be like wow this was actually really really good exactly you have to really take a chance to watch something at home that you might not have seen before, especially watch it all the way through and not abandon it halfway to watch something else or something mm -hmm. known. But I loved going to the video store and getting to pick up the covers and reading the back and, and looking at all the pictures and deciding if I wanted to watch it. And there's something about bringing a film home that made it more of an event. And so you're yeah. more likely to watch it all the way through because you had picked that movie. So you were going to watch it. And now it's just harder. I find um, I spend so long just searching and then abandon it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> abandon yeah. my search. Yeah. Or, and you have so many distractions now too, which it, you know, is at home is makes yes. it harder too. Yes, Got absolutely. That's and... why critics are important because then you can get find your way to something you might mm -hmm. not have uh, discovered before. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, the, you you had a job at a video rental store. Yes. Right? Oh, that was the best. It was <laughs> such a great job. I was 18. I just moved out of Canberra where I was born up to Sydney. And I lived just catty corner from a video store. And so I loved the fact that I could be working and look at home or be at home and look at work. It was a chain called Video Easy, E-Z-Y, which is like a blockbuster. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was the best job. And of course, when I got the chance to do my staff picks, I took them very seriously and uh, tried to consider what I wanted people to watch. And I was kind of an annoying uh, video store employee in that someone would bring up a film to the counter and I would say, are you sure? Like, are you sure you don't want to watch this <laughs> obscure title? And of course they didn't. They wanted to watch the big new release film. Uh, so once again, you know, I was trying to foist my movie choices onto people that didn't want to watch them. But I really enjoyed my time at the video store. And just after I left was when video stores went away. So it was really mm. the end of an era, but I have such fun memories of that time. And I fancied myself a bit of a Tarantino, although I don't have nearly his knowledge about films, mm. but I was, it gave me access to watch a variety of movies while I was working there. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, it, it, you get the, you get unexpected, or surprised uh, selections because what you were thinking of getting is is sold out, is gone, which you don't have anymore. You can watch whatever mm -hmm. you want. So there's none of that sort of, okay, well, I'll watch this instead and check it out uh, yeah. now. That yeah, you had and I, 
I enjoyed putting a film on the the TVs yeah. around the store, and so I could start to watch something while I was working. And inevitably, someone would come in and want to rent the film that I was playing. Mm. Um, but I I just enjoyed being able to see what other people chose. And as I was checking them back in, I thought, well, maybe I'll try this film too. So I, I do miss those days. Yeah. Uh, so then you became a host in Australia. And mm-hmm. uh, how, how did you kind of take that, I guess, each leap in your career? Uh, how are you able to kind of get those contacts and get those uh, to get, uh, to get on the air, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've been so lucky that so many people, especially women, but some men as well have helped me along with my career and opened doors for me. I wouldn't have been able to do it without all those people, Mm -hmm. but I was working at video store and I was doing a TV production course in Sydney when I was 18, just for something to do, uh, because I didn't want to go to university. I wanted to start working right away now means I've been working for a long time. <laughs> I wish I had that break, but that's fine. Um, and one of the girls in my course, she started working at Channel 7, which is one of the big networks in Australia. And uh, they needed people for the Sydney 2000 Olympics. They were the official broadcaster. So she was asked if there was anyone in her course she would recommend. And very luckily, she recommended me. So I started out as a teleprompter operator for news programs. And I did that during the broadcast of the Olympics. And I truly thought I would just be behind the scenes working at a television station for the rest of my life. I was very happy. Uh, Then one day, you know, one of my friends working at the station, again, another lovely girlfriend, showed me an ad in the newspaper for a job at a movie channel in Sydney that was dedicated to movies. They had three movie channels one for classics, one for independent films, and one for new releases. And they were looking for a producer slash editor. I hadn't done either of those things, but I just kind of exaggerated my experience in in the interview. I quickly did a crash course in Final Cut Pro before I had my second interview. And then they said, oh, don't worry, we'll give you training in Avid because they didn't use Final Cut. So I started off as a producer and editor. And then I was seeing all the fun things that the host got to do. And it was never about wanting to be on television. For me, it was just about wanting to be the one who got to talk to the filmmakers or got to tell an audience about my favorite films. Again, just wanting to share my recommendations and force people to watch them. So I pitched myself. I I heard in the programming department that sat next to me that they were trying to fill this one minute 30 slot that they could never do and they didn't want to put multiple 30 second promos in between the movies. And then I realized that on the shoot that I was directing and producing, we had paid the crew for four hours, but we'd only use them for two hours. So we had a spare two hours. So I said, well, how about I come up with a show that would fit in that block that uh, I could produce, I could edit, we could do it at the back of the other shoot, wouldn't cost you any more money. Oh, and I could host it too. And so they eventually said yes to that. And that's how I got my start. And then the other female host there, she was so kind and and very welcoming. I mean, it could have been a situation that we've been told about in so many films where an older woman, you know, sees a younger woman trying to get in on her job and wants to block her. But Renee Brack, her name was, and she was still is, and she was like a big sister to me and, and took me under her wing and taught me a lot about hosting. And when she decided she didn't want to do the red carpets anymore, she was tired of standing for hours in high heels she said how about we give Alicia a chance so I just kept getting more and more opportunities that way um the 
old place that I worked for, Channel 7, were starting a new morning television show and we're looking for a DVD reviewer, which shows you how long ago that was. And they called up me to ask if they could audition Renee. And I said, do you mind if I audition as well? And uh, they were sort of like, you, you're behind the scenes. I said, oh, <laughs> just, I've been doing some stuff. And so then I did the audition. And of course, because I watched behind the scenes for so long of those kind of shows, I knew what they wanted. So I ended up getting that job. So it just kind of kept going from there. That's so great. I, I think more and more, I, almost every field, it's sort of more of, of a gig mindset, you know, mm -hmm. from the next uh, project to the next, to the next, as opposed to kind of your, uh, your signing up for the, the company, uh, the company yes. for your career, kind of the, that it would have been in the past. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it wasn't until I moved to America in 2010 that I discovered Turner Classic Movies. And that was when I got out my little notebook and I thought, and I wrote down goals, work with TCM brackets, host question mark. Didn't think I could actually do it, <laughs> but I just hoped to work with them in some capacity. Yeah. I remember when you got the job at TCM in, in your video that you did, you said that, that you had always, uh, that you had always dreamed of that, that you talked about that goal sh sheet of yours. Um, mm -hmm. was this, uh, channel that you worked for that you said had classics was a kind of the Australian version of Turner Classic Movies in a way? In a way, they didn't have any hosts. So we didn't mm. do any hosted shows for that channel in particular. The only hosted shows were on the new release channel or the independent film channel, uh, where we did junket, press junket interviews and reviews and all of those kind of things, mini shows to go in between the films. But on uh, Movie Greats, as it was called, it was just classic films 24 seven with promos in between. Uh, and I always loved watching that channel, but we never did any kind of hosting with it. Mm. But it was it was uh, a channel that gave access to Australians to be able to watch these classic films. That's really cool. Are you a fan of Rachel's reviews? Do you look forward to Family Movie Night, Female Film Critics Panels, or the Talking Disney podcast? If so, please consider supporting the podcast by becoming a patron. As a patron, you get to access monthly events such as the watch-alongs and Q&As, where you get to talk to stars and find out the behind the scenes of the movie making industry. And you can pick what I review for Family Movie Night or even become a guest on the podcast. Podcasts and YouTube channels are expensive and I really, really could use your help. I would so appreciate it. You also get to be a member of the Facebook group where we talk about all the films that we're seeing and we have so much fun. Go to patreon.com slash hallmarkies and select one of the Rachel's fan tiers. That's patreon.com slash hallmarkies. Came over to the States in 2010. Uh, what kind of inspired you to do that? And uh, that must've been scary. Yeah, it was scary. But to me, I think my, I've always had the mindset of, and I, I mean, obviously a very privileged position where I was like, well, I could always go back to Australia if it doesn't work out. So to me, it's always been scarier not to try something than try and fail. I kind of didn't see it as being a failure if it didn't work out because at least I tried it and I could mm -hmm. go back and, and be with my family and friends and have a lovely life in Australia. So I thought, I just had that feeling of like, it's now or never, I've just got to try it. Everyone thought I was crazy yeah. because I didn't know anyone in LA. I didn't have any savings at all. Uh, I had no plan, no work prospects. I had to quit everything, all my jobs in Australia to move to America. But because I've been working 
in Australian television for a while by that point, I'd amassed a lot of contacts. So by the time I got to LA, I knew I could send out a bunch of emails to all the producers at all the different networks who I knew and say, hey, I know that you have your regular LA correspondent because they always did who went to those press junkets and red carpets and interviewed all the stars. But if you need someone extra, if someone can't do it or mm-hmm. someone's sick and you need someone to fill in, like I'm over here now, whether it's in front of the camera or behind, I don't mind, I will, I will do anything. So that's how I started to get work eventually. But, um, but yeah, for, for, for a while there and, and even as I started to work and it was like you say, gig to gig to gig, uh, with sporadic money coming in, there were plenty of times when I thought, what am I doing? I was in my early 30s, that stage of just turned 30, and all my friends were getting married and starting to have kids and buying houses, and I was eating toast for dinner because I couldn't afford anything else. But uh, I just kind of stuck it out, and, and I really enjoyed it as well. I just uh, I loved being in Hollywood you know, with all the energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just came from there. I was uh, I had a long 10-day trip because I was there for the uh, Hollywood, Crit- Hollywood Critics Association TV Awards. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's a really energetic place to be, but it is kind of intimidating. I mean, I I've thought about should I should I go out there? But uh, it, it I admire you. Not only I mean, for me it would just be moving from Utah to California. I mean, moving from Australia, that's, that's a big, yeah, it was a big move and and it is a very intimidating place. And it's a a place that I really enjoyed the energy at first. And I found it invigorating that everyone has big ambitions. People move Mm -hmm. there to chase their dreams. They don't really move there for any other reason. Everyone's in the entertainment business, but after a while, after 10 years in LA, that started to great on me a little bit or you started to see more of the the it's, shattered dreams yeah you know, the dreams that never quite made it all the fact that the people that did make it it was through a series of luck and it's not necessarily the most talented people who make it and I started to feel like I was losing myself as well because you get wrapped up in what you should look like and and how you should be and and how you should perform because you just see so much of that you're around it all the time mm-hmm. yeah well, you were able to cover a lot of the film festivals. And mm-hmm. so you did cons and Sundance and TIFF. And I mean, I'm here in Utah, so I've covered Sundance uh, every year for the last seven years. And so that's a really fun experience. Uh, but yeah. what was that like for you, especially being such a film buff to now be covering these film festivals? Oh, it was a dream, but it yes. was hard. I mean, yeah. you know how expensive it is to go to these film festivals, especially Cannes. So I had to, it's always a chicken and egg scenario where I had to try to pre-sell or just promise all these different outlets. I can get this interview. I will review this film. I will cover this red carpet and then figure out how to actually do that and then try to recoup my money at the end or at least break even or sometimes not make a profit. But just to go, A, was great for my career because as you know, if you're there and you're a reviewer, you get to review a movie before other people. It helps you sell that review or it helps you gain status in your career. Uh, and secondly, just to be a film buff in a world of, of film buffs in this yeah. little pocket, this little bubble, because it seems like the whole world stops and you're just in this film festival bubble 
for the time that you're there. And um, I was one of those crazy people who would see five films a day, starting at 8 a.m. and ending past mm -hmm. midnight. And just, I was in heaven. I, I still love film festivals because it has that energy about it. The buzz where people yeah. start talking about the films and you're like, oh no, I haven't seen that film. I've got FOMO, I've got to try to figure it out. It's uh yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I love that. And talking in line and being like, oh yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Okay, I gotta make sure I fit in fit in that one. Uh because it's sometimes they had the locals pass and it and they didn't in uh 20 uh, 2020, 2020 was the last one they did live, but um they didn't have the locals pass the same way. Uh you had to pick 10 for 2020, but it but previously, if you got the locals pass, you could just go to any screening you wanted and just show your thing you're mm, in. It was the best. And uh, and so, yeah, you'd listen in line and, ooh, ooh okay, I got to yeah, see that. And I remember one year that I, I went to Sundance, I had 25 cents in the bank and I thought, can oh, I make gosh. this work? I'd already bought the plane ticket, but I ended up crashing on the floor of this apartment that was filled with film reviewers. I was just sleeping on the ground. And then it was lucky that they had this Morningstar, because I'm vegetarian, Morningstar veggie burger pop-up on Main Street where they were promoting the new veggie burgers that they had. So every day, twice a day, I went there to eat because it was a free burger. So <laughs> just it's surviving on burgers. And that year I also hadn't got a very good pass. So I couldn't get into all the big films, but I ended up having a great, experience where I saw very weird films, some of which yeah. have never made the light of day, never seen the light of day. They just disappeared. Yeah. But it was it was a fun experience to go in completely blind and not know what you're going to see. That's sometimes the best way to do Sundance, because the, especially now that it's been so co-opted by Netflix and Amazon. Yeah, you're going to see those films anyway. Sometimes literally that week, I was so yeah. annoyed in 2020 when I because I, I didn't get the Locust Pass that year. Uh, and I got the um, Grand uh, Grand Pass, which is just for one building where they screen movies. And uh, they had the Taylor Swift documentary as the mm. first movie in our past, and they had it for the last movie. So you mm. think gave up two movie slots for the Taylor Swift documentary, and it aired that week. No, <laughs> I know that's that's I'm always so the that's always what I think now when I go to film festivals. I do try to be strategic and think, okay, yeah. what are the films that, you know, I either won't get to see for a long time now that I don't have to write reviews and I don't have to see certain movies. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what, uh, what films uh, uh, might I never get the chance to see yeah. anywhere else? Or especially if they do classic film screenings, like they do in Cannes and at Telluride and at Toronto, it's always great to try to catch some of those. Oh, I'd love to go to Cannes one of these days. Oh. It's, well, the big one, I really want to go to Annecy because I'm a huge animation fan and mm -hmm. to go to the Annecy Film Festival would be amazing. But yeah. uh, one of these days. <laughs> yeah, I really want to go to Bologna to the silent film festival. Oh. I know so many people who go to that and it just sounds wonderful. Plus you're in Italy. So it's mm -hmm. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if you, if you went to Venice, that would be amazing. Yeah. Venice Film Love Festival. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably one of the only people that got excited uh, when I saw your letterboxed and you had reviewed <laughs> a Christmas movie on I there and it. you mentioned that you <laughs> loved Christmas movies and uh, these cheesy TV Christmas movies because I'm the host yeah. of the Hallmarkies podcast and, yeah. and uh, I love Christmas movies, obviously. Uh, and uh, 
I was just curious to know a little bit more about that. Yes, I used to call these films my guilty pleasures, but then as many people have said, and I agree with, it should be no guilt about a film that gives you pleasure. And these movies by Hallmark are designed for pleasure. And there's some great Netflix ones these days too. Mm -hmm. The cheesier, the better. I love, I was telling you an email, I'm a sucker for any film where it's an overworked city gal who goes to a small town for Christmas yeah. and, you know, meets a guy that she hates at first. They don't get along. And of course they fall in love. Yeah. It's just so comforting. Sometimes you need, especially around Christmas, I find the holidays can be tough or they can be exciting depending mm-hmm. on your situation. I've always been far away from my family. Right. So I get to have Christmas with friends, but I don't get to experience that same kind of family Christmas that many others do. So these films are like a big warm hug. I I love to watch a film that um, sometimes I love to watch a film where you know the beats, like like you can predict what's going to happen. Sometimes you can even predict the script, the next line of dialogue they're about to say, what the twist will be. And that's part of the fun. I always watch these with one of my friends, Matt, and sometimes he's over in New Mexico where he lives, or sometimes he comes over here to where I live. We watch them together, but we're always trying to predict, you know, what's going to happen. What's, what's, what's next? Like who's going to be that person or what, mm-hmm. you know, I love that. And it's, yeah. um, it is comforting when you know that there's going to be a happy ending, particularly in this day and age, <laughs> this very uncertain world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's a big secret that Hollywood basically stopped making movies for women. Uh, yeah. And I, I think Hallmark was so brilliant to see that and uh, and actually start making rom-coms again particularly at christmas and and uh, it's not obviously not all women like the same things but in general uh, the most movies made today are made for 17 to 23 year old boys yeah. and uh, so it's just refreshing exactly. to have one place where you know you're going to get a sweet love story and uh, you're going to be able to just enjoy a ridiculous Christmas experience. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, that's a great point that you, you point out because with the lack of women's films or romantic comedies comes a lack of, you know, lead roles for women. So in this yeah. channel, you get so many uh, actresses who, who get to have these wonderful parts and, and sometimes have like their second careers on Hallmark and that's they true. become Hallmark favorites. And I also think Hallmark and Netflix and all the other places doing Christmas movies, uh, Christmas rom-coms are getting better at having more diverse characters too, which is always fun to see how they'll spin it. And it just makes the same story different and more exciting when you can change up the characters. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, Well, my friend Stanford is a big TCM fan. He goes to the festival every year. And so I asked him if he had a question for you. And he said, I've had the, he's been watching the Under the Stars series. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'd be interested in learning if she's had a recent classic cinema discovery, any new classic Hollywood star that's new to her or a classic film that she's never seen before that she really enjoyed. Mm, not so much new stars to me, but what is really fun about Summer Under the Stars is the fact that it's 24 hours dedicated to a single star. So I'm on TCM Tuesday nights and Sundays during the day. So what I get to do is get to watch a series of films with the same star in it. So you get to learn more, particularly when I'm writing my scripts about their life and their filmography 
and sometimes get to see films that you've never seen before featuring a big star. And one of the, the days that I really enjoyed working on this year was William Holden Day, because of course you get to delve into Sunset Boulevard and also network later on in his career, but getting to see some of his earlier films, one I'd never seen before called Dear Ruth, which is just a really sweet movie where he plays a soldier who has been writing to this young woman, Ruth, in a small town. He gets a, a short time of leave from the army. He comes to see Ruth and Ruth has no idea who he is because it's Ruth's younger sister who has been writing to him this whole time. But Ruth decides to keep up with the charade in order to keep this soldier who's just been at war happy. And so it's, it's a really sweet premise that William Holden spoke about these early film roles. He called them like his smiling gym roles where he wasn't given a whole lot to do apart from look handsome and be a uh, great romantic lead. Later on, he got the chance with Sunset Boulevard, et cetera, to Starlight 17 to show a darker side to himself and the fact that he had real acting chops. But I still enjoyed, like I do the Hallmark movies, I just love a romantic film, mm -hmm. a light romantic film. And so that one, Dear Ruth from 1947, I'd never seen before, even though I'd heard all yeah. about it. It's like early catfishing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, people think it's easy to pull off these rom-coms. It's not. I mean, I've no. seen enough terrible ones to know. The exactly. It's hard. I mean, uh, everyone always says, and I've, I've been guilty of this in the past too. Like I could write a Hallmark Christmas movie, but actually there's a lot more yeah. involved than you would think on the mm -hmm. surface. Yeah, yeah, you have to get that banter right and the chemistry you has get to that be chemistry, right. You gotta do some misdirection. Yeah, yes. There's a lot that goes into it. <laughs> but I have always thought that it would be a good idea to do a, a Hallmark rom com at a film festival because they have all these festivals. Oh, yeah. Like that are fake yeah. and that nobody has festivals for things they have festivals for. I know, especially but, like, Christmas this is festivals. A real festival yeah. that actually happens and you could have. Like you could either have it be a like film critic and a, uh, or you could have like them putting on the festival and, and, and like sparring or. Yeah. Or you, you could have, have someone yeah. who loves the, the movies and someone who thinks they're rubbish. Yeah. And, you know, is dragged along the festival. Yeah. I love be, that. It'd it be very be... meta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it would be good. <laughs> then you could bring out all the Hallmark stars to just have yeah. little cameos. <laughs> yes. That would be, uh, it would be good. <gasps> I'll have to write that someday when I have time. Yes, please do. <laughs> I'll watch it. Okay, good. Uh, so here's the interesting question. Do you have cla classics that you kind of think, eh, not that great? Um, yeah, I mean, I have said this before, and I know people get upset when I say it, but Westerns have never been my favorite genre. I think it's mm -hmm. just like there, there, there are wonderful examples of Westerns that I do truly adore, but just as a generalization, it has always been a genre geared more towards men and, and often not had wonderful roles for women. Mm. And I just haven't found many Westerns that I could relate to. It's also it can be difficult to watch Westerns through the modern day eyes when you see the depiction of Native American people and knowing how impacted real lives so I always find it difficult to to love even though I can I can watch the searches and I can appreciate all of it it's beautiful cinematography 
and the dialogue and, and what it was trying to say about racism, it's still not a film that I, I love or I gravitate towards. Yeah, genre. I'm, I'm with you there. I also, for me, usually this the pacing of sci-fi I struggle with. There's mm. some, obviously, that I enjoy, but a lot of them, like, okay, let's move along. Slow, <laughs> I yeah. Struggle. I struggle with sci-fi. Um, but uh, what's a movie from the last like five years that you think will end will be will be on TCM in 50 years like one that you think oh, yeah. will be a new classic that's a good good question I've been thinking about this of like what defines a classic and of course it's hard to say with hindsight what we'll still find intriguing and still want to watch years from now but for me personally I love a film that doesn't apart from the Hallmark Christmas movies, I love movies in general that don't give you everything, explain everything to you as an audience member that leaves some ambiguity there because there's nothing better in my mind than watching a film with friends and having a discussion about it afterwards about what you thought and what they thought and you could have very different feelings about a movie. So one that really spoke to me recently was The Power of the Dog by Jane Campion. I saw that at Telluride last year with a bunch of TCMers and we walked out and we all had very different opinions of what happened, of what Benedict Cumberbatch's backstory of, as his character was, you know, of what what went on with Cody Smith's character, Cody Smith and Fee's character, uh, what Kirsten Dunst's character was thinking. And I love that. I love that everyone had a very different view on that film. And it's the kind of movie that you can you can talk with your friends about and then rewatch and see it in a completely different way. So that to me keeps a movie uh, relevant or, or timeless because you can continue to watch it and it'll probably change as you change and grow and, and see things differently throughout the years. So that's one I have no idea if it will become a classic, but I feel like it, it fits my criteria of what may become a classic in the future. Yeah. I mean, it is, I love a formula film, obviously, but there is also something to uh, having some ambiguity and, uh, and having that discussion is really fun. And, and that was what my parents are not movie people at all. They, they just don't watch movies uh, or really much media at at all. Uh, my dad watched sports a little bit on TV, but that's about it. Uh, my mom's more of a reader, but one thing both of them, particularly my mother is very good at is uh, is they didn't want us just mindlessly consuming content. They wanted us to talk about it and to think about mm. it. And, and what are you, why do you like it? What, uh, and I remember many times having conversations in the kitchen, usually talking with my mom about, uh, you know, why I love Clueless or why, I, uh, why, why I, uh, why I loved, uh, animation and, and, uh, and I, I I didn't realize that that was unique. I thought everybody was like that until I went That's away to so college. Great. Yeah, I went away to college and we went and saw Chocolat, the movie Chocolat, my friends and I. And I didn't love it at the time. And I was like, I didn't really like this and how they portrayed this character, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, <laughs> and one of my friends was like, Rachel, we just wanted to watch the movie. Yeah. Like, oh, you don't want to talk about it? Like what? <laughs> I was like, that's the whole point. That's what makes it fun, right? Yeah, I love that. I love that they instilled that in you because that's that's so fun to me. And and I always enjoy, I mean, I know it can be hard in mediums like Twitter to have a, a discussion about films, but I, mm. I love having fun debates with people when someone 
doesn't like a film that I love or I don't like a film that they love. I mean, that's really fun to get someone else's perspective and, and sort of see through their eyes for a second of, of yeah. how they they viewed the film. Yeah, yeah. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. It's the Hallmarkies Merch Store. Are you looking for that perfect gift for the postable, hardy, or hallmarky in your life? What about getting that t-shirt or hoodie that will help you stand out at your next holiday party? Now is the time to check out the Hallmarkies Merch Store. Full of festive designs by artists like Jessica Miller, Carrie from Hallmark Comics, and more. You can even have more than just shirts, but totes, cell phone cases, notebooks, mugs, and more. And it isn't just Hallmark. We have designs for Anna Green Gables, Man from Snowy River, The Nanny, and more. Every purchase at the merch store goes to help support the podcast and allows us to make the great content you know and love. There are frequent sales, so go to tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies or see the link in the description. That's tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies. I think for me, if I'm thinking of what do I think, well, I mean, I love the movie Your mm. Name. Uh, oh yeah Shinkai. Uh, that's uh, one of my favorites so I, I think that's a has the potential to be a, a new classic I guess mm-hmm. um, and and anytime you get a Disney animated uh, film I think it it always just inherently has the potential to be a, a classic but um, yeah I think yeah. Encanto will still Encanto. be watching yeah of course Frozen will continue yeah. for many many years yes yeah, yeah. Uh, so wh- why do you think the diversity in film criticism criticism matters? That oh, yeah. I think it, it's so important because it, it makes it more interesting for people to, to read reviews and get a variety of opinions on a film. Of course, not all men think alike, not all women think alike, but if you can have uh, just a, a variety of perspectives, it will help audiences decide what they want to see and they can really get a balanced view on the films that are out there. And it helps you to discover a favorite critic, someone that you can relate to, someone whose tastes might mirror your own, especially as we were talking about with this day and age of so much content, you often need a guiding hand to sort through it all and just discover something that might become a a new favorite or a new classic and you don't know about and hard to find. So Mm -hmm. I think critics can really help in that way. it's been, luckily, there's been a lot of conversation in the last few years about, you know, wanting to become, have more of a diverse uh, critic field, you know, particularly with Rotten Tomatoes, they've been doing a lot of work and research into that. And that really helps things like at film festivals, like we were talking about, it's hard to get access if you're not with one of the big outlets, it's also really expensive. So if we can help more film critics to see films at film festivals, get to be the first to review them, get to work for these big outlets. I think it will help everyone. Plus it just allows uh, people jobs, you know, people that are shut out, uh, unfairly shut out. New voices is always Mm -hmm. exciting to me in film criticism. Well, and that was a nice thing about the pandemic of all the virtual festivals, virtual screenings, virtual uh, junkets, things like that, that, that uh, myself and m- many other people were able to participate in that I never would have been able to before. Yeah, I think before when I moved to LA in 2010, you know, I had to move to LA mm-hmm. to make that career happen because that was where you needed to be. You could be in New York as well, but everything was happening in LA. 
And now with the pandemic, it seems like it has opened it up wider to people across the country. That's also important, not only diversity in gender, in race, but also in uh, location because, mm-hmm. you know, you get to share your views on films to a wider audience. And also um, I think often we forget about audiences in the rest of the country in between LA and New York yeah. when it comes to films. Yeah. And I think especially if you're going to have places like Hallmark making demographic specific content mm-hmm. and that that is tailored to particular audiences, you need to have people from those groups saying, mm, no, no, not good enough. Exactly. Or yeah, this is what we want. Do more of that. And I, I feel like the studios need to have at least one check that is not box office related as yeah. saying this is not good enough. Yeah, I agree. And also then also not just allowing, you know, certain demographic to view films starring people from that demographic. I'll never forget when I went to a press junket, it was for a Denzel Washington film. I can't remember which one it was, but just a film starring Denzel Washington. And I think there was a couple of other black actors in that cast, but it was also lots of white actors too. But I turned up to the press junket and I suddenly saw all of these reporters I'd never seen before and I was like oh where where are you guys normally and the studio had a designated you know black film critic uh handler and I thought that seems a bit backwards surely we should be allowing these voices into more press junkets yeah. because like my good friend Jacqueline Coley who works for Ron Tomatoes she as someone, who, someone who was frustrated with that because prior to working with Rotten Tomatoes, she would often only get invited to watch and review black films. And she loves period dramas <laughs> with white casts. And she was like, that's the, those are the movies that I also want to get to talk about in addition to movies with black actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so for TCM, uh, do you get to kind of suggest, oh, this would be a fun a fun one to a fun movie to watch or to put on the slate or did they just purely give you uh, what to cover? Yeah, it's a mixture of both. We get to pitch ideas. The programming department are always open and welcoming of our ideas. Um, and once a year we submit a series and, and little ideas for themes that could go in the following year's programming and they discuss them during their programming meeting and whether they think it's a viable idea or not. And then once the slate comes out for the year, at the beginning of the year, we get to have a sort of a pick as hosts and say, these are the ones that speak to me because, you know, I love talking about women in film. So I'd love to do this, 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 or, you know, a Ben might want to talk about politics in film. So he wants to do these ones. And so we get to put up our hand and then, And then we get assignments where I'll get a list of all the films that are going to be coming out on Sundays and Tuesdays. And I can always put up my hand and say, if I don't want to talk about a particular film, I keep a running list of movies that I have introduced many, many, many times and um, asked to swap them out sometimes with a film that I haven't introduced as much just to keep it fresh. Mm -hmm. But the programming department, they do a wonderful job. I'm always amazed at how they can come up with so many different themes based around pretty much the same movies, the same group of movies, but they managed to package them in unique ways and bringing in, bringing in other experts to talk to us. Um, the, um, 
followed the thread fashion series, which has just finished airing on TCM was one that I firmly put my hand up for. And I was very lucky that I got to host that and speak with all these great designers. It's such a joy when you get to delve into uh, a subject that you might not know that much about, but you have an interest in. I've learned so much, not only about films working at TCM, but just a variety of subjects. Yeah, I just watched uh, Bridges of Madison County and you did the thread, the costume yes. perspective introduction to that. That was really yeah, fun. Yeah, that was so fun. I think I did 70 something introductions altogether for that. And I had help when it came to the writing of those scripts. We have a, a great writer called Hannah Jack. I write my regular scripts for Sundays and Tuesdays, but that was so much work that I needed help. But that was a lot, a lot, a lot of fun yeah. to do. I feel grateful that I got to host that. So I didn't realize that you all actually write your own introductions. Yeah, most of us do. I mean, it depends on the host. And when I started, they had writers that, that were assigned to my scripts and they were very kind in, in me saying, oh, I don't want to take any work away from anyone, but I just love writing and I love researching. And that's the fun part for me is getting to watch mm -hmm. the film and then go down this rabbit hole and think about what I find most interesting about the film and hope that I can communicate that to the audience during my introduction. So they uh, kindly let me write the scripts for, for my Sundays and Tuesdays. That's so cool. I love when they have Leonard Malton on and do the animation. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so fun. Uh, I'm sure it's harder now with like Disney plus and other things like that to get some of those films, but, uh, but uh, it's, it, it was the way I watched like the UPA movies and things like that. Uh, mm. Really fun. I just love Leonard Malton in general. Like yes. I said, he's, movie guides were my bible as a young kid and i can't believe that i actually know him in person right. i used to watch him on entertainment tonight i used to rush home from school so i could catch his reviews on entertainment tonight which played like the day later in the afternoon in australia mm -hmm. uh but he's someone that i just admire yeah. so much as as a font of all knowledge yes Yes. Well, you've written your own books and yeah. I, uh, I read the backwards and heels and I really enjoyed that. Um, Thank how did, you. how did that all happen? And especially the yeah. first one. Well, yeah, again, a lot of help from people. I had done a, um, a TEDx talk about women in film and women in Hollywood and why we need more women in Hollywood in, uh, 2016, I believe something around there. And, um, I had a friend who had written a book and I said, how did you manage to, to write a book? And, and he said, well, I, I have this publisher and I could put you in touch. So he put me in touch and then they uh, saw my TEDx talk and they said, oh, would you be interested in writing a book about women in Hollywood? And I said, absolutely. I've never written a book before, but it was always a dream. Again, it was on the little goal list that I had written. Mm -hmm. And so I, pitched a bunch of ideas to them and they liked so many of them that they said, how about we do a three book deal? So it was wow. a rare occasion where, um, you know, I was given a book deal before I'd even written a book. So that was always the, the best, best part of the whole experience for me was after I'd signed the contract, but before I'd actually done any work, so I could <laughs> say, yay, I've got a three book deal without realizing, oh, I, I've got a three book deal. I have yeah, to write a, three books. That's like, a lot. Whoa, that's a lot in five years. So I got to work with Backwards and Heels. And of course, being my first book, I, I bit off way more than I could chew by thinking, yeah, I'm going to do the whole history of women in, in Hollywood through various stories. 
Um, and I'm proud of that book, but of course it, it could have used like more editing and more work. And you always think that I think about your books. And then after the first one, um, one of my other ideas was to have my favorite films directed by women. And, and I kept getting asked the question, okay, so we know there's a problem with women in Hollywood. What, what should we watch to support women in Hollywood? And I didn't want it to be just my voice. So I opened it up to other reviewers to submit reviews for that book. And then the third idea was a more personal take, which is my latest book, Girls on Film, which explores many of the things we've been talking about today, how I started in classic film, and more importantly, the the women in films that have inspired me throughout my life. Um, but interesting about the first book, Backwards and in Heels, it sort of came out at the right moment where it was released in August, 2017 and small publisher. So I needed to do a lot of my own marketing and no one was really interested in reading the book. I hadn't been on TCM, not many people knew who I was and no one thought the subject was very sexy. Uh, but then, you know, the Harvey Weinstein mean, Me Too movement started to explode at the end of the year. And not that I wanted to profit from that in any way, but it finally people became interested in the topic and uh, people suddenly uh, wanted to read more about it. So it sort of happened at that, that right moment where people started to consider how to change things in Hollywood, which is great to be a tiny, tiny, tiny mm -hmm. voice in that yeah. large discussion. That's great. Well, I had been following you, like I said, I'd watched uh, the profiles and on schmoes and things like that. So uh, that's how I, I got introduced to you into the book yeah. and everything. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'll have Thank to you. read the other two because I'm sure they're awesome. Uh, but uh, that's a great accomplishment. My sister's actually, she's a fiction author and she just had her first regular novel. She's had a graphic novel that was pretty successful. Um, anyway, it actually just barely uh, debuted today. Oof, so yeah. exciting. So oh my gosh. Yeah, Anybody fiction, who writes a book is amazing to me. Fiction, I wouldn't know where to start. That's yeah. a whole other exercise. And, <laughs> and like I've said, I mean, I may change my mind, but I feel like Three books is good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to write <laughs> anymore. It's more than I thought I could do. So You're not going to get happy. another three, uh, three book contracts. No, no please no. <laughs> well, very cool. Uh, well, I like to end my interviews with some fun, silly questions. So okay, here we go. What is the best ice cream flavor? Oh, peppermint stick. Pink peppermint stick. Mm. Love that one. I love anything peppermint. Yeah. What's your favorite color? Pink. Pink. Very good. Uh, what music? It. What music are you into? I love all the crooners. So I love Frank Sinatra, mm. Dean Martin. I listen to crooner radio twenty four seven. It's fun. <laughs> My mom calls it lounge music. She's like, why are you it is like that? lounge <laughs> music? My favorite. Yeah. Uh, what is your go to date night food? Oh, date night food. Um, I would, uh, go for popcorn because I think movie dates are the best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I always say at, le at least on a first date, you do the, uh, movie and cause people, people do dinner and a movie, but no, it should be the reverse. Yeah, I agree. And movie dinner and dinner and yeah, movie, then you are sort of warming up cause you don't have to have that intense yeah, conversation straight away. And then you have something to talk about yeah, afterwards. I like exactly. that. Exactly. You can talk about the movie. All mm -hmm. right. Well, we kind of talked about it. next question is what's your go-to date night activity, uh, but it's, Maybe. It's movies. Yes. All right. It's a good way to like test as well, whether someone yes. is compatible. Yes. 
Uh, so which do you like better dogs or cats? Oh gosh. I have both. I love both. I would probably say I'm a slightly more of a cat person mm. than a dog person, but I have a puppy, a uh, four month old oh. golden retriever who is just adorable. I oh. love him more than I ever thought I could. That's so cute. Uh, which do you like better beaches or mountains? Mountains. Okay. Yeah. Good. Not much of a beach gal. Oh, okay. Good. Uh, what is your favorite holiday to celebrate? Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard to beat Christmas because it's like a whole season, especially it's if Hallmark it starts season. in October. I know. I love it. I love starting early and I love uh, the snow and everything that goes with it. You know, this year they're doing a Rock Cats movie. Oh, uh, cool. I'm so excited about I will it. watch that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to have you on Hallmarkies. Yeah. That would be fun. Uh, so what is your favorite romantic movie? Oh, I, um, favorite romantic movie. I would have to say it's, uh, gosh, I have so many that I love, but being Christmas and, uh, the one that I watch every year is the shop around the corner, which I also follow up with. You've got mail, which is a remake of the film, but I love Jimmy Stewart, Margaret Sullivan and Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Yeah. I was thinking about it with, uh, the recent father of the bride movie that came out which I actually really enjoyed. And there's something about rom-coms that do remakes very well. Yeah, yeah. I think when you can take the basic premise but update it to Mm -hmm. today's world. So the premise still works and then you just add in. I mean, they they should do another You've Got Mail shop around the corner because now that email looks quite outdated. (laughs) Well, and Hallmark has done like so many um, but some of them are actually good. There's one called Deliver by Christmas. That's really charming. Oh, I haven't yeah, seen it. You'd like it. It's really I'm gonna good. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like the, I think the remake of Sabrina is as good, if not better. Than, Controversial. Uh, but I no, I, I like that one too. <laughs> but just because I don't feel like Bogart is in into that movie at all. Like I don't, yeah. there's no chemistry. I don't feel like they're invested. Yeah vested yeah, so i love william holden and audrey hepburn I yeah it's yeah. hard to beat but yeah i i, I did enjoy the remake yeah. too with harrison ford <laughs> uh, so yeah it's an it's interesting that i don't know it's just one of those one of those genres that even if it's not a direct remake if it's an homage uh mm-hmm. to those I, I think it 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 works well more than other genres i think but yeah i agree Anyway, well, thank you so much for coming and talking with us. This was a delight for me. I just loved hearing about your journey. uh, And uh, so thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. It was so fun to talk to you. I'd like to thank Alicia for coming on the podcast. This was so much fun for me. Uh, If you want to listen to all of our female film critics panels, uh, the playlist will be in the description. So definitely please take a look at that. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. That helps so much. And if you are watching on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. I appreciate that so much. I also have the patron group and merch store where you can get female film critic panel merch. Uh, I would so appreciate that support and the patrons. We have tons of film discussions and uh, it's just a fun place to be a part of. And I'm doing the AFI passion series where you can read more of my thoughts on film. Uh, So please take a look at that. I would so appreciate it. And uh, thanks again to Alicia. This was a blast. And uh, we'll talk to y'all later. Bye, everyone.